below and thanks for checking out another episode of the doers and shakers podcast episode eight is super rad i've got a special guest hanging out with me hang session number three luke mallet of the mallet brothers band we pick apart what it's like to be a doer and shaker in the creative world what it's like to remain humble yet chase the dreams with a whole ton of gumption remaining centered and home to focus and hone in on what the creative process looks like among the fame, the lights, the noise, the action. Tune in, let us know what you think. All of the information, all of the goodies are in the show notes where you can find the Mallet Brothers Band and Luke Mallet hanging out in the social media land. Enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to episode eight of the Doers and Shakers podcast. This episode is extra cool. I've got someone hanging out with me for this one, someone that's been on the list to reach out to for many months now when I started rocking and rolling with the Doers and Shakers hang session idea. Uh, I have with me tonight Luke Mallet of the Mallet Brothers Band, and uh, I'm really excited. So let's get in. Hey, Luke. How's it going? <laughs> I'm doing well. How's it going in it your good. world? It's good. It's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you know, main winter stuff. <laughs> I know, right? It's, it's, it's funny. We're from Maine, so I, I don't want to certainly compare, uh, you know, COVID-19 or such a, an awful state of mind to, to living in Maine. But we go through things where we know how to hustle and fight and push through anything that might put up obstacles for us. And uh, I'm sure you're doing all the things that can can keep you forward moving during these times uh, and as best as best as we can yeah forward moving i think is the key um for everybody even if it's just a little bit forward you know yeah small small baby steps if necessary exactly but, uh, yeah and yeah, i think as more artists, about keeping sane you know yeah. <laughs> yes i think that's the key for all of us especially for artists and people that that use their profession as a creative outlet and a way of living uh if anything this has made us reach in further i know for, personally for myself reaching in and seeing what else i can pull out during these times are you are you feeling like you're uh, getting in, in touch more creatively and and you know tapping into a different spirit to your profession uh well you know it's a it's a weird profession to get into in the first place uh and i feel like as a as a lifestyle it already had so many flaws you know just the 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 basic idea of being a being a starving artist surviving in the kind of society that we have right now is already so tough and and it's almost like there's they they make it tougher <laughs> somehow all the time. So it it, it kind of went from ten years of grind, 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 play two hundred and fifty shows a year, don't sleep, drive all night, uh, set up and play another gig. If if you don't if you don't gig, you don't eat that week kind of thing. And that's that's the that's the cycle we've been in for like ten years. So if this hadn't happened and 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 the you know, the schedule hadn't been totally shut down. We probably never would have ever taken any time off. And I don't know if any of us knew really how much we needed it. Um, mm. Not altogether because we missed, you know, touring and the love of touring and the love of the live show is a big part of why we do this. But at the same time, 
it's it's been you know it was really nice to slow down for a minute and it was good for the creative side because usually we're trying to cram studio time in between touring uh a lot of the stuff we've done it's been like pay by the hour in the studio kind of stuff so you're under the gun you've got you know six days to wrap it up um and we just kind of dove we took three months off in the beginning like march whenever it hit sometime in march it was like april may june we didn't do anything uh we didn't see each other we all went full lockdown after the last show as soon as stuff started getting canceled um we just all kind of stayed at home for three months and then we since then june ish we started getting back in the studio and that's been it for the you know the 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 rest of the year it's pretty much been in the studio three days a week if we can we'll take a week off here there uh we kind of took a month off around christmas and new year's but we've had more time to play around in the studio with noises and just it's very low pressure to do it that way you know it's like going to the office uh and and i think a lot of really cool stuff has come out of that so i i can say that the silver lining i mean we're not we're not doing what we would have been doing but we're still getting a lot done and and and, uh we're getting a lot of new music done which is can sometimes be difficult but um Mm, i'm sure it feels like you have all these pockets of time that are open now you can i mean there's nothing time there's nothing but time now (laughs) you know we've we've all got our other stuff going on you know like me and me and my my wife runs a horse farm and i help out here uh other people have their other gigs my my brother's living up in sebec now uh so he's got his little little project that he's working on he's got a house he's working on a lot um and we all got other things going but it's it's uh the best use of time that we could think of is is record and and jam and record and write and for, for you know a lot of times that stuff comes to me in like short spurts it'll be like a few days really creative and then months and months where i'm just too tired because we're gigging too much uh to to write anything down or to even even try and sit down with a tune Mm, yeah 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 i can imagine i can imagine it sucks all your energy out what is what is your creative process now compared to what it was like when you guys were on the road all the time i imagine it was a lot of writing from the van or or a hotel room and and now it's are you able to just write from from home from your land is it is it is it feeling better this way in a in a a sense um i don't know if it feels better because i you know all my favorite me personally like i probably 90% of my tunes are the stuff that the band has recorded over the years is stuff that came off of the road that, I mean, it's very, very productive for me. Mm. Uh, usually as far as writing or capturing an idea, the hard part is bringing it into the guys and, and, and flushing it out and trying to turn it into a finished product. You know, that's, that's a lot harder when you're super busy. Um, so that part's been cool. We can come in with a skeleton on Tuesday uh, and hang out in the studio for three, four days. And we've, we've, we've got like a kind of finished product at the end of that. So in that respect, it's, it's, it's better because we can just kind of knock stuff off the list. You know, uh, whereas when we were gigging and touring all the time, I might've been writing, you know, some of my favorite stuff out on the road, but it could have been a year before we got into the studio and started you know working on it or trying to turn it into a mild brothers band song 
Yeah, so, yeah. I was reading. Very, I was reading about your your song "Land." Is that you had? I read something that you guys uh, you did a lot of your writing from from being on the road, and that kind of came came out in the in your song "Land." That whole the whole record that so that most of that record was written in a little cabin in Asheville. Um, it was you know we were we were still kind of new to to really touring that hard uh and we had like booked a couple days off into the tour and we had a place in Asheville and we all just kind of stayed in that house and it almost turned into a competition <laughs> you know we just everybody just kind of started pumping stuff out so I, I think every one of the songs of mine on that record came out of that little cabin in Asheville so stuff like that can happen like I said it comes to me in spurts a lot so uh I if I get in if I get in the groove, then it's a lot easier for me to just roll from one thing to another. I just got to, you know, convince myself to sit down for a minute. What do you do when you run into creative blocks or funks? Uh, you know, I don't, I generally don't force stuff. Mm. Uh, and that it can, it could work in my favor or not. <laughs> no, I don't know, but it, it, it tends to just, let me know. I, I, I won't be trying to do something and not be able to pump it out. It'll more be like, Oh, I got something. I got to sit down and write it right now. So it's more like it comes to me and tells me when it's time to go. Uh, and I'm, I'm just at the mercy of the thought, you know, whatever, whenever it happens, that's when it happens. So I, I don't usually sit down saying I need to write a song today. Uh, where am I going to start? that just doesn't happen. I just, you know, I'll go about my regular chores and jamming old stuff and learning friends songs and, and doing anything else until something jumps in my head and says, you got to sit down right now. Uh, get, get this going right now. That's incredible. So, that's amazing. I love that. I love hearing that working from flow and ease. And that's a lot of, a lot about what this platform is. And, uh, it's actually one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you. I knew I got the vibe from you, not not uh, not knowing, you know, your creative process or anything, of course, but sitting down and making a list and thinking about, you know, all right, I'm I'm running with this whole entire idea of doers and shakers, and how can I collectively bring in people all over New England that are making big waves and doing big things? And, and you know, you were on that list, and I, and I, uh, I no, <laughs> I like. I like the thought of it. Thank you for asking me. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. It's, it's I'm excited. You know, we're just kind of. I've always just, you know, shot for the path of least resistance. <laughs> <laughs> well, that gets you places. It, that gets the shit done. That brings it, in the it magic. Works. I ended up. I ended up kind of doing exactly what I wanted to do. So, mm. you know. I Have guess you it, always been a writer? Yes. That that started very early. So that words were always kind of my thing um you know my dad's a really my dad's an in incredible guitar player he's like a very intimidating guitar player and so was my brother and he started playing when he was like 10 so my brother and my dad were always very far ahead of me uh in that regard i didn't pick up a guitar until i was in my 20s wow. uh, but the the words had always been around i'd, I'd been i'd been writing stuff for as long as I can remember um and a, a lot of that you know that came out very early with the with the old projects the stuff we were doing in high school you know the lab seven stuff was all 
rhyme and rhythm and uh, intonation and um, it just it, it it was very good for me doing doing that kind of music back then was was exactly what I wanted to be doing and then it just rolled right into a guitar so as soon as I got a guitar in my hands and actually put in some effort and sat down for a couple of years trying to trying to figure it out all the same principles of like the rhyming that I had been doing as a kid rolled right over on onto the guitar parts so yeah yeah it probably aligned right in together and I feel like we can't go any further without giving a shout out to Dave Mallet I mean most everyone that's listening to this knows who he is and knows how incredible a legend uh and and you know he did things with like Allison Krauss, Emmylou Harris, John Denver. Did you understand the scale of that as a kiddo? Like, how was that for you? Uh, I, I mean, I I did, I did. Yes, I was I was well aware. So for him, it was, uh, you know, he built his whole career on that, on 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 being a songwriter. It wasn't, you know, he he our entire lives he was always on tour and he was always doing in you know studio work and we spent most of our, you know, not most, but at least half of our childhoods we spent in Nashville. Um, and that was his living. He was writing songs and getting cuts from other people. And that's what, you know, bought our first house in, in Dixmont when I was a little, little baby, you know, and that, that kind of kept him going. So I was, I was pretty aware, especially being in Nashville and seeing all the processes because he did a lot of co-writing with people. Um, I got to go into the studios while he was working and you got all these session players coming in and out. And ultimately he's pitching these songs to other people. So everybody that, that he was getting cuts from back in the nineties while we were living in Nashville were like big deals. You know, everybody knew who they were. It was, it was Kathy Matea at the time and like Alison Krauss mm. and all these other like kind of heavy hitters in town that, that stuff really made his whole career. Um, which is, I feel like it's, it's very, especially the, the Nashville songwriter lifestyle is very different now than it was back then. I, I, I don't think it, I don't think it works the same as it used to. It's much more, uh, much more industrial mm. kind of thing now. It's like, you know, I mean, and, and not, not, not to generalize, but, you know, for like the Nashville hit machine, those are guys in cubicles, you know, like, like all getting together eight hours a day, five days a week. It's their nine to five job to sit there and write songs, and pump them out. You know? Yeah. Uh, I don't think that was really, it wasn't, it hadn't gotten there in the nineties. In the nineties, it was still like, you know, Towns Van Zant was still a hero in, in Nashville. And Steve Earle was like the king of Nashville for a little bit. It, it, it was a different time for the songwriter. Um, and I think right about the time my dad realized there was a shift going on was about the time we left and we came back to Maine. Mm. which was in 95, I think, I think 95 or 96. I was in seventh grade when we, when we moved back to my dad's hometown. Uh, and that's, that's where I spent the rest of my days as a, as a child. As a child. It's interesting. It's, it's almost like Dave was refusing to, to get in with the mold that was shifting. He wanted to stick to his roots and what felt natural. Is that something that he he kind of still does today and do you and do you think that's you know where a lot of your writing and your passion and devotion to the industry goes as well you want to stay authentic and and stick to what you know and feels right uh, i think we were, we were just lucky to be able to see it working in action yeah you know which i a lot of people especially growing up in rural maine it's not that's not an attainable 
you know, job. <laughs> if if yeah. you go tell people I'm going to be a professional musician, it's, it's not as real as it was growing up in Nashville. You say, I'm going to be a musician. Everybody's, yeah, my dad's a musician. My uncle's a musician. Our neighbor's an engineer. <laughs> yeah. Label. <laughs> the whole city is just in the business. Yeah. So you get to, I got to grow up seeing the business in action and that made it seem attainable. Uh, it never seemed like it was something I couldn't pull off, you know? Ooh, it was your reality. And then you rolled yeah. into lab seven, right? Is that, is that yeah. something you started in high school? That was in high school. Yeah. We all, we all grew up together and, and uh, they were, most of those guys were a couple years older than me. Uh, but I was like young. They all went to college down here around Portland and they kind of hit the Portland scene before I had even graduated high school. So I was like 18 years old trying to get into open mics and stuff in Portland. Um, and very shortly thereafter, I was, I was just kind of embedded in the scene. We played a lot of shows back then, you know, like I couldn't, I couldn't wait to get on stage. Um, and what got you on stage? Talk about, talk about that journey from, you know, how you guys all came together and what that looks like and what that did look like. Um, as far as as far as those the the as a as a kid or as far as the band stuff goes, the band, the Mallet Brothers band, like how you you know you got into Lab Seven, you started doing open mics, shifting out of that. Did anybody carry over from Lab Seven into the it, Mallet it was, Brothers band? So yeah, it was kind of you know Portland is a small enough city that it's it's it really is a close knit artist community. Um, it's it's a great big small town kind of. So the, the everybody that ended up in the Mallet Brothers band were people that I already knew from the scene, you know, people that I'd worked with before. Um, so Lab 7 was going on. We met uh, uh, these guys from from Bumbazi was was playing back then. And these are a bunch of Yarmouth guys um, that our friend Justin was in the band with. And then I ended up joining that band and we did a lot of crossover shows with the two bands. Uh, and that once Bumbazi ended, uh, it was about 2009. That was the obvious next step. So it was me and me and Nick, for, uh, Nick and Nate soul were all in Bumbazi originally or not originally. We were the last incarnation of Bumbazi. Mm. Uh, and it was just kind of an easy jump into the new thing. My brother had graduated college. He had been in Vermont, uh, at Middlebury and he was like crashing on me and Nick's couch. And we started writing songs with acoustic guitars and it just kind of took off from there. It, 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 it went really fast. Um, and Nick had a lot to do with, with the original, with the lineup with like getting people together and getting us motivated to actually do something other than hang around in the living room and, and jam. <laughs> we could have done that forever and been just as happy, but yeah, Nick yeah, yeah. on himself, he said, I got a drummer. Uh, Nate's going to play guitar. I've got Wally who was an engineer in town and, a musician and he played with our with our drummer in a band years past uh, so we all we all knew each other it was very natural for us to just as soon as we started jamming uh the first time we got together it was kind of like all right we're ready to go you know we, we were booking shows pretty shortly thereafter and that was just a matter of uh you know booking more shows make them fun have people show up uh, Did you have any idea it would lead to where you are now? Like, I mean, you would have been happy to stay in the living room, which is amazing. That speaks to you just wanting to get your passion out, right? But 
did you know that it would lead to everything it is now? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I've ever started any project, uh, and said, I'm going to still be doing this in, in 10 years or 12 years or whatever. Um, but it, it, it's a, we, we grew on stage. It, it started as one thing and it was really fun and we all kind of got into it, but the more we were on stage together and the more we were, we, we learned how to feed off crowd energy and, uh the the more it kind of turned into its own animal and it was just kind of a runaway train at that point so um i guess i i guess we all hoped you can always hope everything you yeah. do you hope it's gonna it's gonna do something and, and keep going or outlast you um but yeah of course of course we're very we're very lucky i think a lot of it is luck i think a lot of it is luck you know a lot of it is just being with the right people in the right place at the right time uh, and kind of striking a chord as long as, you know, if you strike a chord with the crowd, then they're going to keep coming back to see you. And that's what, that's how you build a career, you know, in, in this kind of, in the music world, you gotta, Absolutely. you gotta be connecting. Otherwise, um, that's really, that's, that's the whole, that's the whole thing. You can do it for yourself, you know, and a lot of it is for yourself. A lot of it is about getting the stuff out that you have to, and, and you know utilizing the creative outlet and all that but a big part of it is if you're not connecting with people then then you're not going to be able to continue on so it is part of the job description a lot of this is kind of for them it's not really for us mm, uh, i love that it actually just made me think of uh something that i had listened to it was like an interview you had done in like 2016 or something with gas can interview uh and you had mentioned something about the crowds, it's not always amazing. Sometimes you show up and you perform in small venues and there's crappy PA systems and the crowd doesn't always jive. You just keep coming back and you just keep showing up uh, and, and growing from there. And so what does that look like? What does that feel like when, you, when you're starting out and you, know, you feel like you have this very large gift to put out into the world? And in the beginning, it's about growth, right? And so it doesn't always start out really really big so what was it like in the early stages for you guys when you were showing up and it was you know the crappy pa systems and the, and the small oh, still, venues it 100 percent still is you know it's, <laughs> so we've yeah we're it's it's 100 percent that way and it's it's kind of reality of uh it's it's the reality of the working musician you know you build the whole the whole industry um is built on markets so you're you're literally running around the country just trying to get a foothold in you know one new market after the next new market after the next new market uh and we're very i feel like where we kind of got lucky that the luck part just had to do with us being from maine because the identity that people from this state kind of come together over is really powerful uh, and so we run into that everywhere we go, you know, we'll be in, 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 we'll be somewhere crazy. We'll, you know, we'll be in Texas or as an example, whatever. And, and even if it's a show in a town that we've only been to once before and didn't really make any friends and we don't think anybody's going to show up all of a sudden there's like three or four people from Maine that drove two and a half hours just because that was the closest we were going to be. 
Mm. You know, so being able to, to, to survive off of New England as a market has, is, is what makes it possible for us to go out and really try to kick down some doors in the rest of the country. And that's, that's what our whole business model is about. We make, we make money at home. We do some great, great shows. We get great crowds, you know, here in new England, you know, sometimes like three days a week and then two or three times a year, we'll get in the van and we'll leave for three weeks and we'll go out there and, and spend all our money, you know, and just go completely broke trying to, trying to jumpstart a couple new markets. Mm. So it's, it's, a, it, you know, you don't, it's, it, you gotta, you gotta learn how to measure success differently if, if you're making art uh, yes. for a living because it's not monetary and it's, and it's not, you know, if, uh, there's two, there's two different, business models mm -hmm. uh there's working gigging musician and then there's you know rock star it's that's not the same thing you know they're not even remotely the same thing um and the percentage that it works out for people that way is so tiny you know the vast majority of us are just going to be out here grinding for 25 years and some of my favorite bands and my biggest heroes are the guys that like have been at it for 25 years and are just now starting to, to be able to play these bigger venues. And, and they've, it's like, you've, you've proven yourself at that point. And I feel like that's, that would be the success that I want more than getting some advance uh, and having some producer like, like butcher my songs, trying to make it sound like what they want it to sound like. Mm, chasing the magic, not the money. Yeah. It's more like if you can yeah. keep going, that's, that's success. All yeah. you have to do is make the van payment, make the studio payment, uh, and everybody can eat on like 20 bucks a day. And as long as you can keep going, then it's successful. And that only goes so far. But in general, that's kind of how, how, we, how we live. <laughs> that's that's amazing. We... I love that. That's, I mean, that's also what makes you authentic and approachable and, and why people probably keep showing up. Like they, they connect to you. And I, you know, when I was writing you an email and we were chatting a little bit before the podcast, I uh, had mentioned to you, you guys have such a spirit of home, like people connect you guys. I mean, when, of course, you know, when you're from Maine, you just, if you know, you know, like if you're from Maine, you're always going to connect with someone that's from Maine. And I think that you guys, no matter where you're performing or how you're performing, people that follow the Mallet Brothers band follow you because of home. Like you, you guys just have this sense of home. Uh, you know, with a, a shit ton of rock star <laughs> enthusiasm, and we all want that. So uh, I, I know for myself and my family, you know, we've always appreciated that about you guys. The, the fame can go to people's head and, and it leads down a dark roads. But like you said, you know, it's, it's just about surviving and, and persevering through all the things so that you can get out, you know, what you're, what you're really wanting to do. So I have to ask about touring because you mentioned, you know, traveling so much and how many shows you guys used to do. Tell us about what it was like to tour with the same group of guys, you know, and, and your wives and all the people and, and what that looks like to go on the road for that long. It, I mean, it's, it's not, it's a tough question. It's <laughs> not, it's not for the faint of heart, but at the same time, we, we, we've had a lot of practice and we've, we've kind of, we've we've got some good systems we've got good systems and bad systems uh but we've got a lot of good systems that have you know 
not not all it was definitely a learning curve you know it took us a long time to kind of find find uh the groove that we ended up in but you know we've lost we've 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 had a lot of we've had a lot of band members come and go over the years you know we haven't we don't have the same guys we started out with it's changed many times you know (laughs) and we're actually back around to uh almost you know almost the original lineup because our, our original drummer came back after having three other drummers in between uh, he left for about five years and now he's come back. You know, Andrew is, is not original playing fiddle, but he's been with us for like six years or seven years now, quite like a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, so for, I always wonder for the guys that do come and go, uh, it's, it's tough. It's tough. It's, it's, it, it can be really tough. You know, you, you don't sleep or you're trying to sleep in the van. Uh, there's, there's a lot of times we'll, we'll have it really cushy. We'll rent a house for a couple of days and get to use it as a home base and cook our own food and all that stuff is super helpful. But at the same time, there's going to be at least one, you know, 23 hour drive where we're not getting out of the van. There's going to be at least a couple tours where we run out of money and can't get a hotel on the way back. So you're just, everybody's going to have to suck it up. Uh, it's, it, it, it can wear you out. It, it, it's almost, it's almost like a drug. You, you really do kind of, it's all about riding the high, um, and, and not letting yourself crash until you get home and it's all over. Um, but we've never gone crazy either. You know, we've, we don't go out for months at a time. We go out for like three weeks at a time. Uh, I think the longest tour we ever did was six weeks and that was way early on as band. And it was really, uh, a little ambitious. You know, I think we were all like half dead by the end of those six weeks. We were like really feeling rough. So we didn't do that anymore. You know, we, we, we will pick a location. We'll drive straight to Texas, maybe stop two or three times in between. And then we'll stay there for like two or three weeks gig in Texas, uh, get it all out of the way and then go back home um, and maybe stop two or three times on the way home. So we kind of figured out systems that made it easier for us and made it less time consuming and made it more, you know, less expensive. Cause that's the other thing. If you're out there for six weeks with the money that we make in a lot of the rest of the country, it's not going to keep gas in the gas tank. So you kind of got to go come home and, and play some good money gigs in new England to pay for that, you know, to pay for the travel. Yeah, yeah, uh, totally. What is it? What is it like in the van? So when you're driving all the way from, you know, New England to Texas, what goes on in the van? Are you guys writing music? Are we? Are we? What are we doing? <laughs> it's it's exactly what you can imagine. <laughs> There's nothing exciting. There's a lot of podcasts. I drive mostly because I go nuts if I'm not if I'm sitting. So I do a whole lot of driving. Um, we listen to a lot of podcasts. We listen to a lot of music. Everybody takes turns on, on the speakers. Um, we, we kind of, we've, we've learned to make games out of like, you know, where we're going to stop. We don't, we don't, we don't hit McDonald's, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to eat like crap. We're going to, we're going to find some sandwich place with like six star reviews. That's an hour and a half away. And we're going to get off the beaten path and go there. Um, sometimes me and Nick will convince the van to go, go find some cave. We'll be driving by and there's like some cavern we want to go check out so we can convince the van to stop for a field trip, you know, <laughs> <And> <laughs> do some spelunking or something. 
Um, but in general, it, it's just rush. In, you know, in general, it's rush, rush, rush. You gig, yeah. you get done, you crash, um, you get up as late as possible, uh, get in the van and rush to the next gig. And nine times out of 10, you're late. So you're always rushing. And a lot of it is just rushing. So it, it does wear you out and you don't even realize it, you know, because you, cause you're riding the high of it. Uh, the high from the stage, you know, specifically, it's, it's always that, that crowd energy, that night, the, the party energy, that's what keeps you going through the whole next day worth of travel or, you know, whatever it is. So. Yeah. Who, do you, uh, who do you think is not the greatest band member traveler? Who's the, are we there yet? There, there's none of them now. I mean, yeah, <laughs> the group that we've got, we're like, we were, we were rock solid. We really have it down to a science. Um, <clears throat> and that, that counts for a lot because, you know, I'm sure there's a million bands out there that went on their first big tour and, and imploded and just couldn't do it again because it's not easy. Um, but I, I feel like the group that we've got in 10 years into this, we're, we're pretty capable. Did it take a long time, you think, to get into a rhythm with, with families back at home? Or, you know, do you feel like everyone's family collectively is, is on board and, and you've got a system now where uh, nobody's, you know, feeling like things aren't aligned with family and road time? Like, how do you balance, you know, home life and, and, and road tripping, essentially? I mean, I can't, I can't really, I can't really speak for anybody else. The hardest, the hardest are, are obviously for uh, the guys that have kids um, is, is going to be a tough thing. But at the same time, you know, we grew up with our dad doing the same thing and I'm not scarred from it. You know, I never, I was never mad that he was gone so much. It, you know, this, it was the job. Um, and it was just pretty normal f for me to just sneak right over into that lifestyle. But I'm very lucky that my wife is always a hundred percent been go do it, you know, go do it. She, she does the horse thing and that's her dream. And I do the music thing and that's my dream. And, and um, we've figured out ways to make that work, <laughs> you know, amazing. but another, another, I think another part of that is also just the time thing, you know, that you, you can, you can burn out, you can go overboard. If you're trying to go out for three month tours, uh, that that can really wear you out. It's not the same as, you know, because even if we're touring for three weeks, generally we're gone four nights a week anyway. There's no, it's not like there's any time off. You know, it, it's it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We're gigging. Uh, maybe we'll stay. Maybe we'll drive home late night. But we usually have to go right back and get in the van in the morning. You know, anything New England stuff. That's like local stuff, and that's our bread and butter. So, um, it's just different hours there's no nine to five it's more like you know cram it all into one one three-day stretch absolutely a whole what are some of your favorite people you've played with oh there's a massive list i don't even know <clears throat> <laughs> we've been lucky to play with a lot of really really awesome really awesome people um everywhere we've bumped into we've met cool people in every single city we've ever been to uh, that's another big perk of the job. Just the people that you meet, the music you get to hear. Um, yeah, everywhere. It's, it's, it's pretty hard to narrow it down. Really. We've, we've got like best friends in every city, <laughs> you know, oh, that's amazing. So that's awesome. I, I feel like 
I feel like that's that's pretty natural, you know, uh, being uh, people that are in the same situation because we all get it. Any any of the road dogs out there, all these bands that are all doing the same thing we are, we all get it. We all relate to each other. We know exactly what it feels like to get in the van. You know, we don't, you don't, have, we, we, we totally relate to each other. So um, that, that those people are everywhere. And I'm pretty, I'm, I feel very lucky that, that I've been able to, make those connections because a lot of people you know there's a lot of people there's, there's people in new york city that have never left their borough you know mm. there's people in maine that have never left their county um, <laughs> you know one of my dad's best friends growing up from from sebec was wayne dow uh they grew up together wayne was a wild man he painted houses um they were like best friends right up until the end when wayne died a few years ago but uh wayne his whole life told the story of my dad bringing him down to Portland and it was a big deal, oh, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I, I feel like it's pretty common that people don't get to see the things that I've seen. And I'm, I'm, that's why I do it. Cause I just, I'm, I'm kind of addicted to the adventure and the travel and, and the, and the people and the whole thing. It's, it, it's very, it's very addicting. Does that feeling inspire you to write? Or like, what, what is, what do you think? Oh, definitely. One of the biggest you have to, is? I have to try hard not to write too many road songs, you know, cause it's going to get old. <laughs> but usually the first idea that comes into my head is like a road song, like something about a highway. So you, you kind of have to weed through that. Um, but yeah, I think that's been, you know, all of country music was birthed by, by highway songs and the, the trucker songs and like there's a whole genre dedicated to trucker country you know <laughs> so it's i think that's always been there you know for music in general that's always been there the traveling minstrel that's what it was before we could record this stuff it's, it's a pretty short span of time when somebody could actually record a song and then release it like that's a blink of an eye you know um that's not how it was for what like two generations before us it's not it's not that far so yeah. the idea of the whole traveling minstrel you're playing for your supper you're bouncing from town to town so people don't get sick of hearing the same songs over and over like that was a lifestyle and it's mm. it's it's still possible to do that it's just a little bit harder and it's a little bit easier because you can rely on stuff like streaming you know we can record this stuff and get it out to the world and that's amazing but uh really my 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 true love is like the the road the 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 traveling minstrel lifestyle and what do you why do you think that is like what do you what do you what fuels no you idea. from that i have no idea mm. i have no idea it's <laughs> i don't think there's a specific reason i think it's i i mean maybe maybe it's maybe it's bred into me you know there's there's a good chance that it's bred into me I mean, they say the best artists with a, you know, with a process don't have a process. They can't tell you where any of it comes from. And it, it sounds like, you know, you're fueled by all these things and it just happens. And, and probably over, to overanalyze any of it would take all of the fun and magic out of it anyway. So, right. <laughs> oh, I do nothing but overanalyze it. That, that, <laughs> yeah, I spend plenty of time analyzing it. That doesn't mean I come up with any answers. <laughs> so who's who's luke mallet outside of music like what's what's just an average day for you at home like what's it like to you know all music aside i mean if you do put music aside what, what's what's a day in the life of uh animals so we yeah we we live um 
uh, we've been here in Gorham for almost 10 years now. It's a, it's a family, you know, a family horse farm with, with my wife's family and she runs the place and we live here and we've got our dogs and we've got cats and we've got like 18 horses on property that she takes care of, uh, like 12 hours a day, seven days a week kind of job. So, uh, I, I got plenty to do here. (laughs) You know, there's, there's never a shortage of stuff. There's, you know, snow removal, uh, I get to drive the tractor around. We have to deal with the horse stuff. I do night check every night. You know, we go out before bed. We go out, we check waters, we give hay like every, every night. It's like clockwork every night. Night check never doesn't happen. So I can say officially, I have not missed a night check in, uh, uh, you know, almost in a year, which is crazy. Cause that never happened. I was like, I get to do my three nights a, a week night check and then leave my wife to do it by herself while I'm <laughs> off doing other stuff. While but you're on the road. Yeah. Do you think, here, you know, everyday fun. life and routine and, and I don't want to say mundane, but like, you know, the routine of, of waking up and just doing the things every day, day in and day out. Do you think from the soul, like, are you, is that okay with you or are you? Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's surprisingly easy. My, I think my wife has said the same thing. She's, she's been surprised at how well I've, I've taken it being, being grounded here, but um, it is, it's, 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 I'm, I'm in a good spot. <laughs> you know, I'm lucky. Yeah. I'm in a good spot. I, you know, my, my wife is great. Her family is great. The property is beautiful. Like I love, I live for my animals. Animals are really it outside of my guitars. It's, it's the animals, you know? Um, and there's no shortage of that. And there's a real, when, when there's animals involved, you know, being, being in this, in the kind of farm gig for as long as I have now, a lot of stuff gets put in the background because it's all about the animals first, you know, like mm-hmm. most, most of our daily life is revolves around their schedule. When the horses need what, if, if the power is going to go out, am I ready to deal with the waterers? Am I ready to hook up the generators? It, you know, it's, it's, um, if it's going to snow, I got to be ready to get the horse pass cleared so we can get them in and out. It's like all, everything is revolves around the horses and, and, in the dogs you know and that's cool <laughs> we don't have kids you know we, we don't have kids we're probably you know we're not gonna have kids we we, we like our animals mm. um, and that's it doesn't get any better i mean it's really like the best of both worlds because yeah, i was gonna say <laughs> do this year and then i can turn around and i can go play my music it's like i've, I've got the best of both um yeah, and now you're doing you, it you can keep going we're you know we'll see <laughs> it's been a long year we'll see what happens but I we know. got i hope you know it's all there's still stuff um there's still stuff in the works our agent is still working on it like spring and summer and fall it's there's there's stuff on the calendar you just you kind of have to have to be cautious and you know yeah what are you guys doing next what's what's on the books what's going on hope for the best but prepare for the worst you know yeah uh just yeah but that's we'll we'll be playing outside as soon as we can that's that's kind of it once once we can move outside again we'll get back to playing shows right Uh, right i know we all look forward to that oh my god yeah but that's the thing it's you know it's really the outdoors thing is kind of the clincher because as as a rock you know as a full band situation you know uh we're not gonna 
we're not going to go inside until mm. we know we can. You know, we're not going to be the first kids in that pool. So we, we did a lot. This past summer, we got to play a lot of outdoor shows. We got to play a lot of private shows, uh, which was a huge help. I mean, it was a massive help. We, we played a couple of private parties for like 10 people, you know, in a backyard. And, and people were always super respectful and stayed, you know, kept distance and everybody wore masks and they were being cautious. So we felt cool doing it. Um, but the second it got cold, everything just, you know, we're not gonna not gonna move inside. So we can only hope. We'll play outside again in the spring and summer, and we hope that when that's all over, we're starting to schedule some club gigs and some more out of state stuff, uh, some more normal feeling stuff. Uh, we're looking at the fall. We're looking at like October, um, which is a long ways away. But that's yeah. that's what we're looking at so far, and we'll just wait and see what happens. Do you feel like you you guys are you know, with your, as far as an agent goes? What was it like? What was that like? Talk, talk to us about that transitioning from kind of doing your own thing in Portland and, and moving your way up and, and trickling down the venues and things like that. And now, you know, does it to this day, even like to hear, you know, what's my agent got on the books for us? Does that feel surreal or like, what is that like? <laughs> well, we did, we, we had, we had lots of people. We tried lots of different things, you know, in the, in the beginning um, when he was still in the band, Nate soul was doing a lot of the booking and managing stuff. Uh, and when he left the band, I kind of actually, even back then we had a guy who was our booking agent for, you know, a very short period of time. And then, and then, you know, we kind of took it back. And then when Nate left the band, I kind of took it over and I did it for a few years. Um, and then we worked with a local guy, Scott Moeller. It's, 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 we've bounced around a lot. We've done lots of different stuff. We, you know, we worked with a guy, Scott Moeller, who's here in Portland. He's a super good dude. He's a musician. He's a buddy. Um, and he, he started an agency and he, he was helping us out. And then he joined crossover touring, which is based out of Portland, mm -hmm. uh, guy, Pat may in town. He's, he, he's one of the head honchos over there and they're a major, uh, they're a major agency based out of Portland, Maine. I mean, he's got Billy strings and, 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 um, you know, some real heavy hitters. So that was cool for a minute. And then we went back with Scott and then we left Scott and then we kind of hooked up with this, 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 this guy, Dell, uh, we did a, we, you know, we hooked up with this guy, Dell at uh, new frontier touring, um, which is just another, they're based out of Atlanta in New York and they have some other offices. And uh, we ended up hooking up with this guy, Dell, who's, you know, he's, he's younger than us. He's, Everybody that I talked to, every promoter from every club that I talked to was like, yeah, Dell's, Dell's the guy, you know, Dell and Greg, Dell and Greg, they're like a dynamic duo. <laughs> uh, so we ended up with Dell and he took us on and we were going to do our first big tour with New Frontier uh, in April. <laughs> and that oh. was, it, it was, you know, he, he had filled the, he had filled a bunch of stuff. We've been doing a lot of New England stuff, but our first like tour was was supposed to be in April so it was a you know it was a little bit tough but I will say we're also feeling very lucky that we have somebody who's been handling the calendar through all this because there's been three or four scheduling changes at this point for every show you know it's like stuff stuff that was supposed to be happening back in the spring has moved three times already yeah. uh, and is now starting to get moved into the fall so to have those guys on it and keeping it organized and, and that's, that's been huge for us because we've been able to focus more on like, how do we 
pay the bills this month? What, what can we, you know, get for new merch, uh, you know, whatever. And that's been a big part of it is the merch store has been helpful. The live streaming has been kind of helpful. The tip jar has been really, really helpful. Mm. Um, so all those little things combined have made it possible so far, but just knowing that these guys are on the job and they're going to have it, have us back to work at some point is, is a pretty great feeling because <laughs> it's not an easy job for yeah. a musician. Especially it, it's hard. And, and it got really hard when we were on the road so much, we needed somebody stationary to be taking care of the next five months because I was too busy driving and, and we were just too busy gigging and we didn't want to have to deal with that too. Yeah. There's of course out there already. Yeah. Have, leave it to the management so you can stick to your creative process for sure. Yeah. The, the big part of it is just relationships, you know, and, and these guys are well liked. So that means the promoters like them and that means we're more apt to get the gig. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's how it works. Yeah. Full circle of who, you know, for sure. All the things. And so with it. when you, when you get on the books and you've got a show show scheduled to go, how do you guys decide the set list and, and who's going to play what and what's, what's going down? Is that something you do? I, I, I usually avoid it. I, 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 I'm more like the, I don't look at the set list until I get on stage. And if there's something I don't want to play, I just say, skip it. <laughs> <laughs> really? But, well, the, just because it's the, basically Nick, Nick lean has like written 99% of our set lists throughout the entire career of the band. He just kind of became set list guy. And <laughs> it, um, it is different every night. I will say that we don't write a list and we don't play it for, for the next month. We write a new list every night, even if it's exactly like the list we played two nights ago, we write a new list. We start from scratch every time. Um, and I think that's, I think that's good for us. I think that's, I think it's good for us. I think sometimes it'll throw somebody for a loop. It'll throw me for a loop. There'll be something I haven't played in a while. And all of a sudden it's on the list and it's kind of fun that way. Um, and do you guys collectively all decide or is it just something you and Will say this is what's happening tonight? No, not even, not even me and Will. No, it's just, uh, yeah, usually it's Nick. He's writing the list. He's writing the list because he already knows what we do and don't want to play. Um, and <laughs> he, he kind of knows what he wants to play. And yeah. that's usually the perfect set list. <laughs> What's your favorite album that you guys have done? Do you, do you, can it's you answer that? The, or is it... No, it's always the new one. Yeah. It's always the new one. I feel like my favorite one might be, my favorite one might be, um, it's always the new one. <laughs> My favorite stuff right now is the, is the singles that we've been releasing. Uh, we've, we've over, over pandemic so far since last March, we've released like three or four singles just digitally. Um, and those are some of my favorites personally. Uh, and I think that's probably on par for me. I think I will always say it's the new one. Because <laughs> you feel currently like tied to it, or like what? Why do you think that? Is? I get. I don't know. Just because it's more like what I felt like I was supposed to be doing at the time. Mm. It's. Uh, I. I. I don't know. I can't explain that. I think that's. I think it's a common thing. I think artists in general have trouble looking backwards, um, of any. Uh, of any medium, you know. I think painters are the same way. It's like as soon as it's done, it's trash. <laughs> you know. <laughs> 
on to the next thing quick. So it's really tough when you get like fan favorites or stuff like that that just that just you know don't sit with you the way that they used to or whatever. But um, I always like the new stuff, and I always like to be making more new yeah. stuff. I've been listening to some of the new stuff. I love Colfax. Uh, I think you know a lot of a lot of good things have been written. I'm I I love. I think I can speak for a lot of people. I think with you guys, since you have such a mix and a variety from the beginning, all the way, you know, from low down to now, it's, it's all over the place collectively with sound and, and things that you're saying through the songs. So it's always a trip. You know, you're, you're carried through a journey when you just start listening to all of your albums. So I personally love to hit shuffle so that I'm getting a little bit of everything all into of, the mix. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's awesome. And Falling of the Pine, I actually read something about that when it first came out. Talk to us about that just a little bit about how connected you guys are to that. Uh, that was, it was, it was my brother's brainchild, um, but it was actually born out of my mother's library. Because uh, my brother found, he found two of them. He found two identical books in that library. Uh, they were called The Minstrelsy of Maine. It was written in the 20s by this woman from Brewer, uh, Fanny, Fanny Ekstrom or Ekstorm. Uh, and she had gone around and collected all these song lyrics uh, and, and uh, like woodsman songs. She was trying to collect the, the, the folk songs of the woodsmen in the 1800s, all these old guys that were about to die. Uh, and it was basically all written to like Irish folk tunes, but these guys were, were singing lyrics about, you know, Maine and, and logging and log jams and, and all this really crazy stuff that people did back then. Uh, so she collected them all into a book and my brother found the book and he opened it. And the first page he opened to, uh, mentioned, um, my grandmother's maiden name. Uh, it was the line was town alone escaped the heavy news to tell. It was all about these guys capsizing in a boat while they were running with the logs and everybody drowned. But this one dude who had my grandmother's maiden name. So he took that and it kind of, we, we got, we got really into it and we spent, we did that one in our own studio, which, which um, we we did our first two records in, but we had done other stuff in between. We'd gone to a couple different studios and and done a couple different recording methods. But for that one, we just kind of spaced it out over a long period of time. It was one of those things. We were on the road all the time. If we happened to have a weekend off or even a Friday off, it was like, who wants to go in and work on some of these songs? And eventually we got it done. But it was all the traditional folk song lyrics from the book we didn't have any music for reference so we just uh, put it to our own music and turned them into rock songs and and um and it was really fun <laughs> it turned into a really really fun project yeah uh, and it turned into one that we felt like could speak to. there was another band i found out after it there was another band uh I'm not going to remember their name. Hmm. There was another band that had done something similar out of like Pennsylvania. They were like a Philly band and they had 
done a similar concept album based around similar folk songs from woodsmen in in like western pennsylvania and coal miners in western pennsylvania uh so i think there's something to be said for that keeping this stuff alive it's like this book was written in the 20s it's already been forgotten so how do we send these songs around for another cycle you know let's yeah. let's bring them back once again uh and that was you know it felt, it felt good doing that yeah yeah and and you can tell i mean anyone that listens to that you can tell it's something different there's there's something about it it's a story history, history. i mean it goes back to the whole main main identity you know mm. I think we've got a frontier mentality up here. I think that's one reason that our fan base is so supportive and so diehard. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's one reason that we've kind of been able to do this as long as we have because because uh, we know what that means, you know. And we try to we we try to use it. We don't run from it. We're not we know we're not we're not we're not leaving Maine, you know. We're not yeah. <laughs> we're not going to we're not going to new york and, and we're not moving to boston and saying we're a boston band it's like and there's other you know we're doing that i will say ghost of paul revere do the same thing like they've mm -hmm. they've you know we've got a really strong identity here and i think we all need to you know there's something to be said for utilizing that um 100 percent and i think i think no matter what industry you're in sometimes just like going within staying rooted and going within and like using what's right in front of you and what you already have and pulling from that bringing out what you can and bring from that instead of constantly like searching for more and looking outwards trying to bring in all these other things just you know use utilizing what's right in front of you can be useful in any any anything that you're doing any dream you're tr you're tracing or any design that you're coming up with um what, what would you say to somebody that, you know, is maybe wanting to pursue a brand new career or come up with something that is completely out of the realm of what they thought they were going to do and they're scared shitless? Like what, like, what is your, your take on that? What would you say to that? Uh, you know, it's, I feel like it's, I feel like it's always worth it. It's, it's always worth it in the end and and I, and I think a big part of that goes to you know speaks to um redefining success which is something you have to do as as a musician or or any kind of artist uh I think the same can be said for anything it's like um redefine success if if you're like dedicated to starting an organic farm you know I just read the most this the saddest news i know bring it down but i just read the saddest news i know i think i know what you're talking about yeah and restaurant he just had to close it up because it's been that kind of year and these guys have been at it for a while but it's like the dedication that that dude shows for his his farm and, and his wife shows for the food that they were putting out and like <coughs> if you're doing it out of love then you're gonna succeed either way even if times get tough and you shut the doors, you can still consider your, yourself a success because you've been doing exactly what you wanted to. And that should be the measure. Uh, not, not financial, uh, not hours, you know, put in. It's a hundred percent about whatever you love. 
well, you know, whatever, whatever feels right, then just, just be doing that. Uh, and eventually it's going to work out for you. But um, it's hard for me to say, cause I, I will, you know, as a musician, it's definitely not financial has never been the measure of my success. And if it was, I'd be a massive failure. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's never, it's not about you and, and you find ways to make it work. And that's the other thing because being in a business like this, I run the business. I run the, the financial part of this, uh, it, you know, and that's been after doing this for 10 years, I can run any damn QuickBooks. <laughs> you know, yeah. you give, me, you give me any businesses QuickBooks, <laughs> I have it all straightened out. You know what I mean? That's, that's become like part of the job description. So uh, there's all these different things that come into play whenever you're starting something new, but it's always worth it. Uh, and the, the, the worst possible situation you can be in is one that you wish was different. So, oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. It'll be worth it. What's one thing you could say one thing to somebody starting a business or a creative process. What's one thing that they should always hold on to and never give up, no matter how big they get? Hmm. Oh, man. It's uh, 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 hold on to, hold on to, um, hold on to center. It's hold on, especially when you're talking creative processes hold on to center because i think it's it's a very easy thing to get distracted by outside uh whatever uh you know criticism or or praise even or, or whatever outside stimuli mm. uh and start falling down darker roads but it's it, you know just holding holding center i think is very important uh, mm -hmm. And it's something I try to do because I've known a lot of, you know, some of the greatest musicians in the world, some of my absolute heroes, uh, some of the best players I've ever seen uh, couldn't do that, couldn't hold on to center. Uh, and I do, I do envy them in a lot of ways, but at the same time, I, I, I've made it a point to, to hold on to my center. And I think it's kept me, you know, staying sane is not easy in this world anyway, let alone if, if you're, if you're of the, uh, if you've got a creative mind. Um, so center is important, whatever that means. And it's, it means something different for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just for, me, just for, me, for It's probably the animals for me. You know, the animals are probably a big part of that. My wife, the animals like this farm, this place, this is probably the center. Um, yeah. So when you're feeling like you're getting tripped up or a little bit lost from all the, all the noise, if you will, yeah. you can and just kind of center back. Where to refocus. Mm -hmm. That's amazing advice. That truly is amazing advice. I feel like that's the perfect place to end this. I hope everyone listening can hold on to that. Hold on to your center. You heard it. Luke Mallet, the advice of the evening. <laughs> Now I got to learn how to take it, right? You got to remember to take your own advice. Yeah, yeah, because we never do. <laughs> the, listen, this was amazing. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thanks for asking me. Absolutely. And we wish you all the best. And we all cannot wait. Tell us where people can find you hanging out. Uh, I'm going to drop in the show notes, Instagram page, uh, Facebook page. You guys have got a Fans of the Mallet Brothers Facebook page, which has been yeah. really awesome. Yeah, there's a group that other people just kind of, 
took it and ran with it. And that's what we wanted. So that's kind of fun to watch. Yeah, uh, yeah. The it's, group it's, page, the website's a good – I mean, there's not a lot of new stuff going on the schedule right now, but the website's always fun to check out. And the, and the web store has got some cool stuff in it. Um, and we're doing, you know, we're, we're doing some live streams and some online performances kind of scattered around. So, so check out Facebook for those, and, and I'm sure the videos are still there. Absolutely. All right, guys, I'm going to post everything in the show notes for you. Definitely hop on the Mallet Brothers Band website and check out the merch store because there's some killer hats, super soft t-shirts. I personally love the merch store. So thank you so much, Luke Mallet. Keep thank being you. so amazing. Thank you, Hannah. Well, that was pretty exciting, huh? I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. Huge, massive shout out to Luke Mallet. Thank you so much for your time, your energy, your soul, and all of that magic that you gave for us. Speaking out about your world, bringing us into your world, and what it's like to chase the dream while remaining centered. Thank you all for tuning in to episode eight. As always, I appreciate you. Be well.